Welcome to Digging Deeper, a podcast of the Glendale Road Church of Christ. I'm Stephen Hunter, the minister of Glendale Road, and this week's episode is going to build upon last week's episode about how the Bible was created and ultimately how it came to us. So the first occasion of recording scripture occurs by the hands of Moses uh, at the covenant inauguration between God and Israel. You can read about that in Exodus 24, verses 4 through 8. Now, scholars mostly agree that the book of the covenant mentioned in that passage entails Exodus chapters 21 through 23, but there are varying opinions about that. When you think about it, the fact that Moses' first 40 years being brought up in the Egyptian palace, that would explain how he was literate and could have been a scribe, because they placed a high amount of esteem and respect on scribes in that culture and in that time. They believed that a scribe was his own boss and the highest of trades trades to which one could aspire. So it's obvious that Moses had scribal training in those first 40 years because he lived among the higher echelons of society. And that skill served him well as the leader of Israel. Even in Israel's later history, we read about the scribe moving about in royal circles. For example, Esther 3.12, 2 Chronicles 24.11. The scribal chamber was within the palace, according to Jeremiah 36, verse 12. And the scribe's work often detailed the exploits of the monarch they served, as well as the reign of the monarchy itself. They would also write decrees that were ordered, and they would take dictation. Some might be sent to record military skirmishes the realm was engaged in, and a useful skill for the scribe to possess in later times was to be multilingual. So following the station of Moses as a prophet were other prophets who recorded books or records here or there. For example, uh, Elijah and Elisha, are non-literary prophets. They're written about, but you have Jeremiah uh, and Ezekiel and Daniel that were literary prophets. We even read later about uh, some of the saints referring to what had been written. For example, in Daniel 9, 2 and Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. Now, this process led led to what we know as the Old Testament to be formed around 400 B.C., with some arguing that the law was authoritative way earlier than then. By 200 B.C., or maybe earlier, the prophets were canonized. Now, unlike our Christian Bibles, where the Old and New Testaments are major division, the Hebrew Bible grouped its books differently. Now, the Hebrew Bible is referred to as Tanakh, And there are three major groupings of the Tanakh. There's what's called Torah, which is the law. That would be Genesis through Deuteronomy. There's Nevaim, which are prophets. And here's what you'll probably find a little interesting. You have two classifications of prophets, the former prophets and the latter prophets. The former prophets are books like Joshua, Judges, the books of Samuel, and Kings. When we think about those books, we think about them as historical books, but to the Jews, they are considered the former prophets. The latter prophets are like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so forth. 
So you have Torah, Nebaim, and Kedavim, writings. That would entail the Song of Songs, Ruth, Lamentations, uh, Esther, Ecclesiastes, and also uh, Ezra and Nehemiah and Chronicles. Now, this threefold division of the Old Testament is referred to in this way around 180 to 175 B.C. by a fellow by the name of Ben Sira. Uh, it, he may have got it from somewhere else, but that's the first recorded time that we see it. Now, centuries before this time, around 622 B.C., King Josiah found a copy of the law in the temple when he was renovating it and tearing down all marks of idolatry. And his subsequent reverence of the book of the law demonstrates its authority in the life of Israelite society. You can read about that in 2 Kings 22, verses 3 through 20. When it was brought before King Josiah and read in his hearing, he tore his clothes as a sign of grief because he heard the promises and the blessings and the curses of the law, no doubt, and it led him to a, uh, to a state of grief. After Israel was in captivity, Ezra had a copy of the law that he used to lead the nation. You can read about that, Ezra chapter 7, verse 6, and Nehemiah chapter 8. Centuries before then, Joshua, in the 13th century, the book of Joshua, he read the law in Joshua 8, 34 and 35. Now, King David, as king, was supposed to have a personal copy of it. That's based off of Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 through 20. We know that David consulted it after Uzzah died. Remember when they were taking the Ark of the Covenant uh, and transporting it. That Ark was on a cart driven by oxen. And when it hit unsteady ground, the Ark slid and Uzzah reached out his hand to stop it and was struck dead. So it stopped in procession and David consulted the law and concluded that it was the Levites who were supposed to transport the ark. So from the time of Joshua reading it until the next reading of it, explicitly stated, is a long period of silence of the public readings. And the law stipulated that it was to be read to all of Israel every seven years. But one of the things we know is that during that time, the United Kingdom of Israel became divided, and the Northern Kingdom, made up of ten tribes, followed an idolatrous path, while the Southern Kingdom, made up of Benjamin and Judah, they sinned as well, but they had periods of fidelity. Think Josiah, Hezekiah, and maybe a couple others. Now, the next public reading that we explicitly read about was by the high priest Hilkiah, who found the book of the law and read it to King Josiah. So upon hearing the words, Josiah grieved, he sent to inquire of the Lord because all the curses of the book were to be rendered to the unfaithful people of Judah. When Josiah assembled the people to have the book of the law read in their hearing, he led a covenant renewal to which the people consented. However, because of so many years of unfaithfulness that began with King Solomon, changing the trajectory of Judah was unrealized because of so many years of neglecting to read the law. Therefore, the land was purged of its inhabitants so that it could undergo a period of cleansing. And God said he would do this very thing. You read it in Leviticus 18.28, 
and Leviticus 20, verses 22. So, this points us to the authority that the law and the prophets had. And what we find was that those who were well-regarded adhered to the law. We also note that the absence of it from the life of Israel resulted in ignorance that permitted unfaithfulness. So that is just but one part of the early history of Israel and how they regarded the law. So, thus far we've established that Moses lived around 1500 B.C. The books, the first five books, the Torah or the Pentateuch, uh, were likely written by him somewhere between 1450 to 1400 B.C. They were vested with authority by the command that they were read every seven years. And Joshua did just that in the 13th century. Then you get to the 8th century, prophet Isaiah he urged a reading of the prophetic books in Isaiah 34, 7, uh, 34, 16. You go another century to the 7th century, and that's when King Josiah's court discovered a copy of the law and read from that. And, of course, he inquired of Huldah what those things meant. You go next to the 6th century, Jeremiah urged someone or that some read his scroll as authoritative in Jeremiah 36, verses 6 through 26. And it was during Jeremiah's tenure that Judah was exiled to Babylon. When the exiles returned, they returned giving a new focus of reading Scripture and of committing themselves to it. But they had moments here and there of infidelity. So one of the things that really catapulted the law to take center stage is what's called the Maccabean Revolt. The books of the law were seized from the temple and from anyone who possessed copies. Now, this is a period when Greeks are spreading their culture among non-Greeks. And a lot had happened in Jerusalem, and now they were taking it to the other places outside of the city of Jerusalem into the country of Israel of Judea, and they encounter a priest by the name of Judas Maccabee who just won't stand for it. And so he rose up a, uh, an army, and they fought off the Greeks, ultimately, uh, ultimately succeeding. And so the Jews formed habits, the habit of searching the law whenever they were faced with national threats. And they'd read from their holy books even before going into battle. So following the example of Ezra and Nehemiah, they became very stringent in their observation of studying the law and turning to it. And that became a dramatic shift from their pre-exilic mindset. Then we get to a group who dwelt around the Dead Sea. They are known as the Essenes. Most of them lived around the Dead Sea. Some of them lived in cities. Uh, they lived in what's called the Qumran community. And they mandated a third of every night for reading the book and studying the law as a community. Their study and reading of the law were likely oral and rather silent because of custom. Their method of interpretation was to not depart from the commandments and not add anything to them. Sound familiar? So the preservation of God's commands in their most accurate form was of significant concern for the Essenes. So they believed that their interpretation of the law was the last. 
the proper communal study of the law was thought to atone for the land, whereas early generations had ignored it. Since the Qumran community had priests and Levites as members, they read the text aloud in the assemblies that required a minimal number of ten. Now, in the first century, a fellow by the name of Philo, who was a Jewish philosopher, he notes that Jews regularly met in synagogues where they read the scriptures and after that explained whatever was unclear. However, scripture reading wasn't restricted to the synagogue or the scribal community. There's a group known as the Therapeuta that Philo recorded, and scripture readings and sermons that followed were common at their banquets. Now, the origin of the synagogue is widely debated, so I'm not going to get into that, uh, but it did rise to prominence during the period between the Old Testament and New Testament. Because you notice, we don't read about Pharisees, Sadducees, or synagogues in our Old Testaments. But it has a very important, uh, very important place in our New Testaments. So, Jesus, in Luke's Gospel, was in the synagogue, I believe Luke 4, he read from a scroll of Isaiah and gave a sermon. Now, the synagogue meetings were not necessarily for worship, but for religious instruction, uh, they were institutions of religious education. So to speak of a synagogue worship negates the temple's place in the life of the Jew in the first century. The temple was where worship was rendered as well as scripture was read at times too. We know that there were at least two readings of the scriptures in a synagogue meeting. One was from the law and the other from the prophets. The latter was followed by the synagogue ruler asking if anyone had a message after the reading. So every three years, the law was read in its entirety, and a priest or a Levite were given preference to reading them in the synagogue if they were present. So when Jesus read from the scroll of Isaiah, that kind of infers that neither of them were present. The reading of the prophets formed the conclusion of the synagogue service known as the Haftarah. Since this portion of the reading wasn't pre-selected, the reader at their discretion, could select whatever passage to read they wanted. Now, when the church was born, it wasn't considered distinct from Judaism. So synagogue and temple meetings continued until the apostolic preaching went to the Gentiles. And upon the conversion of the Gentiles, and before their conversion, the early Christians primarily met in houses. Within, the early church's worship became defined as separate from the temple or synagogue. But still, when you look at them, the early church house meetings shared many organization and stylistic practices with those of the synagogue. So if you really want to understand the place of Scripture in the life of Israel and the church, one good starting point is the synagogue. We notice portions of infidelity of reading the law in the Old Testament, but that period between the Old and New Testament is when the reading of Scripture became very, very important, which only points to the reality that Scripture enables the people of God to maintain their fidelity. And when it is ignored, it can only lead to infidelity.